Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Hey, let me address something just real quick. Um, you know, as we know, this year's been kind of strange, and certainly as a pastor being put in unique circumstances to address things like masks and distancing and all that kind of fun stuff. And Thankfully, the uh, restrictions are starting to lift, certainly in Denver and in our state. Jeffco has not changed their restrictions. We haven't made any new decisions. Uh, we just heard this week. So uh, if we're in an awkward stage, it's okay. We're in an awkward stage. If you wear a mask, you don't. Uh, we're glad that you're here worshiping together. Respect the people around you. Our goal is to love one another, to care for each other. And hopefully I don't have to talk about masks ever again. But we're glad that you're here and we're, we appreciate um, your patience, appreciate your, your, your love and, and patience in this time and the, the challenges, your respect for one another, care for, and concern for one another. That's paramount that we are known as a community that loves our neighbors, loves our community, whether we agree, disagree, doesn't matter. The call of a Christian is to act in love, which means in the best interest of the people around us, and sometimes to even step into the mindset of the people around us. You know, Paul actually talks about, in some ways it sounds uh, a little condemning, but he says this, the weak and the strong. And sometimes there are those that have a certain mentality and you may think they're weak and you may think you're strong and they may think you're weak and they may assume they're strong, but we're supposed to walk in the mentality of others because that's what it means really to carry out the ministry of Christ, that Jesus came to us and, you know, and he met us where we are. He didn't say, Jason, I need you, if you're going to be with me, you've got to be way over here. Otherwise, I'm not going to show up to you. No, he met us where we are in our brokenness, in our sin, in our failure, in our arrogance, in our pride. And through his mercy and grace, his love was opened up to us so that we could trust him and begin to follow him. And so as a church, that's how we move into the world. In the same way that Jesus has not out of politics and not out of our own individual choices, but rather saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. I may not know what to do in this moment, but you do, and would you teach me what that looks like? And I think when we do that in humility and grace and love for one another, it changes us, and then we become the kind of community that evergreen in this community says, hey, those people are different. Uh, I want to know more about the God they worship. Hey, what if, what if there was a person in your life and I hope you have somebody like this, but a person in your life that loved you perfectly. And by loved you perfectly, when they loved you, you felt loved. There was no question. And yet they not only loved you perfectly, but you knew that there was nothing they wouldn't do for your joy and your good. And you knew that they had all authority and power and resources and wisdom and ability. And there was someone in your life that loved you perfectly, knew your flaws knew who you were, and yet they sought what was best for you and did nothing to stop at seeking your joy. Would you trust somebody like that? Jesus is saying, that's who I am. That's who he is. As we conclude the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, I am wisdom. See, in in the Old Testament, in the Jewish life, wisdom was life. You know, Solomon, remember Solomon? God comes to him and says, hey, Solomon, what do you want? I got everything. 
Now, Solomon should have known he's supposed to ask for like an infinity of wishes. If anyone ever says that to you, that's what you're supposed to ask for. But instead, he asked for wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you wealth and power and authority and everything else that you probably want too. Because see, in, in Jesus' day, what people thought was life was wisdom. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if you're looking for wisdom, you found him. I am wisdom. Not that I, I'm not pointing to wisdom. I'm not referencing wisdom. I'm not footnoting wisdom. Every word I say is wisdom. The question is, will you allow my authority to become your authority? Will you surrender to what I say? Jesus loves us fully. He knows us completely. The question is, will we surrender and submit to his authority? So let's jump into this passage. We're looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick it up, I think, in verse 24. And I'll be honest with you, the words, you know, Jesus must not have taken a class on preaching because this is not how you end a sermon, Jesus. You're supposed to tell a story, something heartwarming, something that stirs. He ends with this phrase, and it fell with a great crash. Mic drop. That's how he ends the sermon, with a word of warning. Because it really does, the end of the Sermon on the, on the Mount, it's a series of metaphors, and he talks about a broad path that leads to destruction. And then a narrow path that leads to life. And the contrast of the two paths is not about broad and narrow or, or destruction or life. It's really about one's difficult. One requires effort. The other is, is easy. And which path are we on? And then he talks about these the wolves in sheep's clothing, that there, there are people whose fruit you really need to discern. Don't take them at just at what you see, but when you see a Christian leader, you need to discern what's going on at the surface. And that's also true of us, that just because we claim Christ, the fruit that's underneath our behavior may not necessarily be fruit that's devoted to Christ. Because see, what Jesus cares about is a greater righteousness. He talks about this in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm looking for something deeper than simply moral obedience. I'm looking for a heart that loves God and a heart that's willing to search through its devotions and its affections and its desires and surrender to the authority of God and allow God to work on the foundation. And then finally, in this final illustration, he talks about two types of builders and two types of homes and two types of foundations, but one storm and two very different results. So let's pick it up in verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. And everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the, the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. 
Father, as we come to this passage, I'd ask for wisdom, knowledge. Holy Spirit, would you show us the truth that we need to see in this moment, the truth that applies to our life, the truth, Father, that you've been communicating to us for years and years, and maybe we have missed or we have ignored. Would you give us the grace, Father, to have that moment to see clearly both who you are, what you want for us, and, Father, where we are in relationship to your authority, your love, and where our heart stands in terms of being obedient to you. Father, guide us into this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as any good preacher, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's concluding by reminding us of everything he said in the rest of the sermon. And there are two primary principles that are really simple. This passage isn't difficult to understand. It may be difficult to apply. But there are two primary ideas that he's telling us about your life and the foundation of your life, how your life is structured. And he's using this illustration of two builders, two houses, two foundations, one storm, two results. And he's teaching something about life. Now, when you think of a home, many of us have lived in many different kinds of homes. Whether we've rented, maybe you've traveled, maybe you've built a home, maybe you've bought and purchased numerous homes. Most people had one home. And that home was built on their ancestral land. So for many people that Jesus is speaking to, you would build a house, but that house would be built right next to your parents or even connected to your parents' house. You would add on to your parents' house and you'd be living on land that you grew up on. You knew the community. So when Jesus talks about building a house, he's not talking about this dream home that you've always hoped for on a lake in a certain community. He's talking about building a life because see, your home represents your life. And the primary question the Sermon on the Mount is asking is, what are you building your life upon? And are you aware? I'll be honest, I I think often we're not aware of what we're building our life upon until a storm shows up. Then we realize what we're building our life upon. And it's not strong enough. You see, all of us have a foundation. All of us have a series of beliefs and desires, and often our foundation is that thing that we look at and we say, if this was right, or if I had this, I would be okay. And the world tells us, you need these things. This is what it means to be okay. If you're beautiful, you're okay. If your family is a picture of perfection, you're okay. If you have enough, if you have extra, if you have money that provides security, you're okay. If you have a title, you're okay. If you have this kind of home, you're okay. Our culture is constantly saying, and here's the reality, that's influencing us greatly. I walked out of the house today and I felt okay. Not because I'm okay, but my body feels okay. My family feels okay. My finances are not loving me, but they're okay. My house is okay. Life seems to be okay. And so I'm walking out and I'm feeling good, but not because my life is necessarily built on Jesus, but just because life in that moment is okay. And sometimes we have to evaluate, what do I really want in life? What am I daydreaming about? And see, the entire Sermon on the Mount is to reveal what you value. What are you building your life upon? Is it okay just not to commit adultery? Or are you concerned about a heart that honors women? 
that honors another human being's body? Do you want to rid lust from your life? What do you value? Is it enough that you haven't murdered someone? Is your heart okay with hating other individuals? Because they vote a certain way, they look a certain way, they do a certain thing. Is it okay to have a heart that allows bitterness and hate to rule over you? Jesus is, in every single passage, he's talking about your foundation. And he's not throwing you a shovel. Fix the foundation. He's giving you himself. I want to look at, Jason, I want to look at your foundation with you. And as he's looking at that foundation, he's not there to condemn and criticize. He's saying, I want to change that. And like a good father, he's saying, will you let me? Do you know what needs to be changed? And see, as you go through the Sermon on the Mount and you wrestle with things, if Jesus is pure wisdom, you're going to not like some of the things he says. That only makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if Jesus is God, there should be moments where he says something and you say, what? That doesn't make sense. I don't like that. That doesn't sit right with me. But he's saying, don't be foolish and ignore what I'm saying. Why? Because I love you. I know what's best for you. Will you trust me? The first thing he's telling us, all of us have a foundation. And that's what he's saying in verses 24 and following is he's talking about different people that are building different homes on different foundations. All of us have a foundation. Now, here's the second idea. The storms of life will reveal what you're building your life upon. And his warning to you is do not wait. The question becomes, what are the storms? And and there's a lot of debate around what the storm means because he doesn't tell us. Now, in the preceding context, the storm, the ultimate storm he's referring to is the day of judgment because you see that in the previous context where there's these people and they're doing all this stuff for God, but in the end, they didn't know him. Now, Augustine, this fourth century theologian, said the storms that he's referring to are the trials of life, the difficulties. Others have said it's the final judgment. I'm telling you, I think it's both. I think the storms in life are the dress rehearsal for the final judgment. Because see, when storms come into your life, you realize that life is fragile. That I don't have all the wisdom that I need. I'm not in control. I am not strong enough. I am not big enough to handle every single situation that comes in my life. When storms, whether that's a physical storm in terms of a health issue or a relational problem or a financial issue, all of those storms in life, they start to reveal, what am I standing on? What do I really believe? What do I trust in? And it begins to expose my foundation. And the ultimate storm is that storm of judgment. What is going to stand on that day? Now, the hope and the good news of what he's telling us is there is a foundation that can endure any storm in life, even the ultimate storm. And the question for us, if we claim to be disciples of Jesus, are we building on that foundation? And really, what does that look like? So let's jump back into this passage and pick it up in verse 24. And again, he says, everyone who hears these words, and really what we're supposed to do is to take verse 24, and if you could in some ways put it right along verse 26, and compare what he's saying about these two individuals. Everyone who hears these words of mine... And notice who does them. I like how the NIV translates this. It says who practices them. Because does seems kind of final. Practice is more of a process. 
Whoever hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And so here comes the storm of life, whether that is illness or brokenness. It comes in and the house stands. It didn't fall. Meaning there is a foundation you can build your life on that is secure both against the tragedies of life and the ultimate storm. And then second in verse 26, you'll notice, and everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So notice, both individuals have the information. Information will not change you. We should know that by now. There's a lot of you that are prophets for eating healthy. And I appreciate your information. (laughs) Some of you are vegans, some of you are vegetarians, some of you are in the closet on that, and it's okay. You can come out. And I can't tell you, since moving to Colorado, how many people have told me about eating healthy, eating, and it's influenced me. It has. It's doing all right. I'm I'm, I'm doing better. Thank you. And I've watched the document, I watched the documentaries, and they are horrible. I don't want, have you seen some of those that talk about your body and what you eat and how to, oh, it's, it's horrible. My problem when it comes to eating is not just information. Information is important. But when I see a cheeseburger <laughs> with bacon and those fries with a little bit of skin on them, I hear them saying, I love you. (laughs) And I say, I love you too. (laughs) I have issues with my desires. And your information isn't strong enough to influence those desires. Now, it may influence me for a day, but the truth is, information plus perspiration does not equal transformation. If it did, then all of us would be physically healthy, emotionally healthy, financially healthy. Information would be enough. But Jesus didn't show up as a great teacher. I need a savior. I need somebody to rescue me from me. And someone that loves me enough to expose my desires and affections and says, listen, I'm not condemning you in this. I'm coming alongside. And Jason, I want to look at your foundation together. And I want to start pulling stuff out of your foundation. And it's going to be painful. And I want to replace it with things that will stand and that will hold. See, both people listen. What's the difference? What's the difference? Now, it's obvious both people, one person does it. So we could say it's obedience. I think it's more than that. One person listens and they believe Jesus has authority. One person listens and they think he's just a good teacher. There is a big difference to listening to someone and believing that person has authority and authority over my life. See, if I believe he has authority, what is he saying? He's saying, Jason, I'm not just a good teacher. I am wisdom incarnate. I created you. I know you. I know your failures, I know your good parts, I know your bad parts, I know your broken days, I know your great days. And what I'm sharing with you is life. 
And I'm doing it out of a heart that loves you and I will do anything for your good and for your joy to the point that I would die on the cross for you. But do you see my words and do you receive them as just good information or do you hear them as words of authority? You see, if you receive them as words of authority, as I said before, you're gonna have issues at times with what Jesus says. See, if your Jesus and your life are so simpatico that he never offends you at any point, then you may not have the real Jesus. Because Jesus' foundation and what he's saying comes from the heart of God and my heart and God's heart and my mind and God's mind are on two different planes often. And I need to be offended at times with what Jesus said, not to the extent that I change what Jesus is teaching, but I wrestle with what Jesus is saying. It's okay to struggle with what Jesus teaches. But what he's saying is don't be foolish. Meaning don't reject my authority in your life. That's what leads to death. See, and to reject his authority is just to say, hey, this is good information, but I can change it, I can alter it, I can allow my culture to influence it instead of saying, Jesus, I'm gonna submit to your authority, which means I'm gonna wrestle with you. I'm going to ask, I'm going to seek, I'm going to knock. I'm going to be in a community of people that want to follow you and represent you in the world. But Lord, I'm going to surrender to what you're saying. Help me. Do you notice how often people are crying out to God, God, help me. I believe, but help my unbelief. That's submitting to Jesus' authority. Submitting to Jesus' authority says, like Paul, listen, God, I'm weak, but in your In my weakness, your perfection, your strength comes in and it makes me strong. That's what it looks like to submit to Jesus' authority. To submit to his authority doesn't mean you have your life together. It's saying, I recognize that you've come to change my foundation and I'm inviting you to be a part of that with me as I surrender to your words. In the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's not changing the landscape. He wants to change your foundation. All of us have one. The question is, are we allowing God to examine it, to address it, and then how are we responding to the storms of life? Are you learning from those hard moments in life? Not to be prideful or arrogant, but rather to have a community called the church which should be driven by truth and grace to come alongside you and help you to examine the foundation that you're living upon. That's what life in the body of Christ is about. It's not about coming together and showing each other our perfection and looking right and having a certain image. No, it's about following Jesus together and that's messy. Because if I really let you follow Jesus with me, you're gonna have to look in on my marriage and on my parenting and on my spending and how I spend my time. And some of us say, no, I don't want that. I just want some good information. Are you following Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to follow Jesus with a community of people who recognize his authority and love you enough to say, look at Jesus. Look at what he says. Are we that church? Am I that pastor? Do we want that kind of authority or do we just want good information that may shift a few changes in my life, but it's not going to change my foundation? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, I'm your foundation or I am Nothing. How do we do this? I mean, this is pretty simple, I think, for the most part. This isn't a difficult passage to understand. 
We all have a foundation. Storms of life reveal it. There is a foundation that's going to endure. Are we allowing God to examine it? See, when you go through the Sermon on the Mount, what he's doing is he's getting down to a greater righteousness. You'll see this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. That what God is really after and what Jesus is showing us is I want a righteousness that's deeper than obedience. Obedience is good. It's good to be obedient to God. But I want it to come out of a heart that loves me and more than that, it's trusting. You cannot love God and say you love God and not trust what he says. That's schizophrenic. You know what I mean? To say you love somebody but you don't trust what they say, that means you don't love me. Because see, love and trust, they travel together. And when somebody loves you, you trust what they say. Now, you may wrestle with what they say. You may push back. But in the end, you're going to trust what they say because that person loves you. What does it look like for us to actually live out the Sermon on the Mount? I think first, have you built your foundation on the foundation which is Christ? Meaning, it does start with simply saying, Jesus, I need you as my foundation. I want to exchange the foundation that I have built my life upon to this point, and I want to exchange it for you. And see, that's the prayer of faith, that Jesus comes in, I I forgive you. He comes under, he builds a new foundation, which means he gives you a new heart. That he begins to put a heart in us that desires the things that God desires. He gives us the Holy Spirit. We are a new creation in Christ. That's a new foundation, but see, the reality is I'm still trying to walk on my old foundation while I have a new foundation and the two are trying to pull apart. You know what happens when the foundation breaks, the house starts to crack? And in Texas, we experienced this a lot. Our garage was moving away from the rest of the house, which is quite annoying at times. Because see, when the garage moves away from the rest of the house, you know what happens to the rest of the house? It starts to lean and you start realizing I can't close the door and it doesn't matter how many times you plane that door down, it's eventually going to not fit again until you start fixing the foundation. And what we often try to do is bring along Jesus as a teacher, here's my foundation in life, and we try to push the two together, and they don't work. They don't work. Either Jesus is our foundation, which means he's our authority, and Jesus, I want to surrender. That doesn't mean everything's perfect, but it's a process of trusting him and believing what he says. It starts with a prayer, but then second, we have to start investigating our life. And going through the Sermon on the Mount and looking at what he's saying. Because as I said before, all of us have this foundation. And this foundation includes these core beliefs and values. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, here are my values. This is the foundation. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the foundation I'm building upon. But are you building your life upon the values which Jesus is bringing? And see, this Jesus, he is king. He said his kingdom has come, which means a new administration is coming in place. Have you ever seen that? You know, when somebody takes over a new, maybe it's a gas station or a restaurant, say under new ownership. And with new ownership comes new values. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, these are my values. This is what I want you to build your life upon. This is what I want you to believe greatness looks like. Are you willing to allow Jesus to address those things in your life? You know, there's an image I want to show you. Bella, if you could put that up. I actually shared this in 2020, right before the pandemic. So this image means a lot of things to me. It kind of reminds me of a day of peace before everything kind of changed. But 
how does spiritual transformation, how does it actually work? And the reality is at the top, we need teaching. We need information. There are things that we need to learn about. There's scripture we need to get into. And there's a God that we need to know. We need to understand his truth. But then second, if you notice in the left corner, in this passage, it says they do what he says. What that means is to practice. The Christian life is about practicing what Jesus did. Practicing. What is practice? Practice is not perfect. Practice is commitment. And in the Christian life, what we're doing is Jesus said, pray. Am I practicing prayer? Not am I praying, but am I practicing? And Jesus was kind enough to even give us a prayer that we could pray. If you don't have one for yourself, here's a prayer that you could try. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then I want you to reflect on what those words mean. And see, I want you to get into my word. I want you to start practicing scripture. I want you to start reading scripture. I want you to practice fasting. You know, there's a group that I'm connected to, a group of guys, and we've started fasting together. And I don't share, share this to get approval from you because Jesus said, don't do that, and so I'm not doing that. But I'll tell you, I couldn't fast unless I had a group of men to fast with. You know why? Because if nobody knew I was fasting, I probably wouldn't fast. <laughs> and here's what they do for me. On the days that we fast, they call me. How you doing? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible for me too. You grumpy? Yeah, I'm grumpy. You mad? You yell at anybody yet? Nope, not yet. Maybe later. And, and we, that commitment of practicing, why are they calling? Because we're practicing together. This is something we're trying together. Is it comfortable? No, it's not comfortable. It's not easy. But we're practicing the way of Jesus. And see, that's that last aspect, which is community. You have to take the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of God's word. Then you've got to start saying, okay, what does this look like to do it? How do I love my enemy? Who is the enemy I don't want to love? And then how can you get a community of people around you to say, man, I'm not here to condemn you or to hate on you or to push you into guilt, but to love you enough to say, I know you say you want to follow Jesus. Okay, this is what it looks like. I want to encourage you to get there. And listen, we're going to get there together. We're going to get there together. Because see, in the middle of all that is the glue, which is the Holy Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit loves is Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the practices of Jesus, and the community of Jesus. And when you have the Holy Spirit in your life and you're taking God's teaching and you're applying it to your life and you're practicing and walking the way of Jesus, which means the practices of Jesus are a part of your life in community with others, that right there is called the church. The church is not good content on Sunday morning because you can get better content than this, guys. There's some great preachers on YouTube who have excellent content. The church is not content. What is the church? It's a community of people who have been rescued by Jesus, who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus in community with one another by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And see, we need to practice being the church together. Do you have that community? Or are you trying to live the Christian life just in isolation? You know, as a church, we want to be a community that is teaching one another what does it look like to be with Jesus, 
to become like him and then to do what Jesus said. But it starts, first of all, do you think Jesus is wisdom? Do you think he's brilliant? Have you ever considered that Jesus is brilliant? And that if he is the creator of all things, that means he knows all things and he is wisdom incarnate. Am I surrendering myself to that? Jeremiah said, before I could delight in his words, I had to eat them. Delight in God's word, it takes time and it takes community and it takes practice. And Jesus is simply asking us, are you willing to go on this journey together to allow God to investigate your foundation, to practice this in community so that the world would know that God has sent his son and that his love and grace is available to all. Hey, this is the good news of being the church. We're not perfect, we're not together, but we have the one who is. And as we seek him together, he uses us, he changes us to the degree that we are able to represent him in a world that's not always gonna be pleasant when it comes to following Christ. But God will use us to make his presence and the gospel known. Let me pray for us. Father, I just ask, for so many of us, we live on this success and failure continuum. Am I successful? I did it right, it worked, I failed. And yet you're on the continuum of practice. That the life that you want for us can't be divorced from the practices that you've given to us. And Lord, I thank you that you care more about our heart because we want to care about the hearts of others. and where they're messing up, and we want to have judgment, and we want to have condemnation for how everyone else is messing it up. And you constantly thank you, Father, bring it back to us. Bring it back to what we're setting our hearts and our minds on. And you invite us by the power of grace to surrender to your authority. And to be honest with you and say, Father, we struggle. I struggle with this. I struggle with this aspect of what you're saying. But Lord, if you're willing to die for me, If you loved me that much that you met me where I was and you gave up your life, that the ultimate storm of life, it didn't fall on me, it fell on you and you absorbed that storm in yourself on the cross so that I might receive the fullness of adoption, love and grace. And if that's true, Father, I want to surrender to your word. And Father, would you open that door to community? Would we see the church as more than a YouTube, it's more than podcasts, it's more than just information It's a community of people following the same king. And a community that's seeking to see the same father as Jesus described him. Help us, help us, help us to be the community you want us to be, Father. Thank you for your truth and your grace. Guide us into all these things in Jesus' name.